Welcome to PR360, a weekly interview podcast dedicated to talking about the important topics within the public relations technology industry, hosted by Brett Deister and in partnership with Global Results Communication. Find out more information at globalresultspr.com. And welcome to another episode of PR360, a podcast where we talk to the thought idea leaders and the industry makers in the PR industry. And I'm your host, Brett Deister, as always. And with me, I have Martin Waxman. And he has been doing a lot of different things through PR. He is a LinkedIn learning professional, but he also has done social media and communication strategy. He's the president of Martin Waxman Communication. And he's also been a co-founder of three different PR agencies. He's been in the industry for about 25 years. And he specializes in social media training and workshops. That's where the LinkedIn learning comes in as well. So welcome to the show, Martin. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right. Now the question I ask all my guests, are you a coffee or tea drinker? Well, that depends on the time of day. In the morning, definitely coffee. In fact, my day can't begin without coffee. But right now, I'm on Eastern time after lunch. I've had a lot of coffee, so I kind of switch to tea. Mm, yeah, I'm still on my coffee because it's morning in the West Coast. Yeah, but I do take it black, so nothing in it. And as a result, I can actually tell the difference between a good and a bad cup. Whereas when I started drinking coffee, I'd put sugar and lots of milk or cream in it. Didn't matter what the coffee was like. I could always adjust with sugar. Agreed. I used to be a barista for a small coffee company, and I do drink it black as well. And you can actually tell the difference between burnt and non burnt coffee. Yeah. All right. But anyways, give us a brief description of the different types of AI and just maybe a little bit about what AI is for people that may not know what it is. Absolutely. So AI stands for artificial intelligence. And really a a quick definition of the AI is when machines can perform human-like tasks. So machines are kind of intelligent, although not necessarily the way we're intelligent, at least not yet. A lot of communications professionals or marketers think, wow, you know, they're just waiting for AI to get here with all this big fanfare. But the thing is, it's here already. And it's being integrated into so many of the tools we use, so many of the processes. So for example, if you use Slack, which is a uh, platform for chatting and stuff, the Slack bot, which comes in when it hears you ask a question or say something, is powered by artificial intelligence. Netflix, the recommendations are powered by AI. And of course, Google search is more and more shaped by AI than ever. And they've recently introduced some new algorithms that really are trying to understand the intent of our search in order to get us better results. So it's here. And really, it's important for communicators and marketers to understand the difference between the three different main types of AI. First one is called narrow AI, and that's the most common. In fact, that's what we have now. Narrow AI is what's used to power digital voice assistants like Alexa or Google Assistant. So you ask a question, it gives you an answer. What it is, is it's trained on lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of data examples. And because of that, it's able to kind of adjust the results that it serves up. And it's really good at doing one task better than humans ever could. And kind of think, well, if I only had to do one task, maybe I could compete with that. But we have to do so many more things. So 
So narrow AI is what is there now. The recommendations engine on Netflix, narrow AI. IBM Watson, and as smart as it is, narrow AI. Chatbots, narrow AI, trained to do one specific task. Now, when machines start to get a little bit more like us in terms of the way that they think, you can use that in quotations, and are able to transfer what they learn from one task to another, that's called general artificial intelligence or AGI. And AGI is what we often see in movies and on TV. So for example, if you watch Westworld, those are general artificially intelligent agents who are at there. And they're not yet conscious, at least, well, I haven't seen season three, so we'll see what happens with that. Or for example, if you've seen the movie, her character played by the voice of Scarlett Johansson, which is the operating system of Joaquin Phoenix's smartphone, is a general AI. And a lot of the big organizations that are doing AI research, so whether it's Google or OpenAI, they're moving toward that general AI. And general AI is a little bit scarier than narrow AI because it means that the AI will kind of, will be a lot more like us. Now, to get really scared, we move into the third type of AI, and that's called super artificial intelligence or super intelligence. It's often called the singularity, and that's when machines have become smarter than you or I or humanity collectively is or will ever be. And that's when uh, you just got to watch out for anyone named Hal, right? No, that's where we really need to be concerned because will they have consciousness? Who knows, right? So it's a different kind of atmosphere. Right now, we're at the beginning of that spectrum, narrow AI, and there's no consensus. So should we be excited about narrow AI? Absolutely, because it will help us do certain things better. Certainly, any repetitive task, social media monitoring, for example, it could pick up a lot more potential conversations or opportunities or issues or challenges. Anything to do with spreadsheets or databases, organized data, you can automate that. But we need to make sure that we establish the ethical guidelines, the principles right now, at, because otherwise, if we, if we don't do that, as we move toward a situation where we have general artificial intelligence down the road or super intelligence, humans could be in big trouble. And so was machine learning before AI, basically? Because about five years ago, that's what everybody was talking about, is machine learning, how it's learning things. So was that like precursor to AI, or is that kind of in conjunction with AI? Machine learning is a type of artificial intelligence. And in fact, if you go back to the beginning, AI was kind of really, con- the form of AI that we're thinking about today was conceived in the mid-50s. First of all, Alan Turing with the Turing test. He was a UK mathematician and computer scientist who a lot of you are familiar with. A lot of your listeners will be familiar with from the movie, but the Turing test is when artificially intelligent agent can trick a human into thinking that that agent is human in the way it answers questions. So that's one thing. In the mid-50s, a guy named John McCarthy, who is a computer science professor at Stanford, I believe, he gathered a group of thinkers. They had a conference, and McCarthy is the one who actually gave it the name artificial intelligence. And back then, 
what AI did is it was rules-based programming. So lots and lots and lots and lots of very complex decision trees. Now, it could only get so far because there wasn't enough processing power, there wasn't enough memory, uh, resources weren't shared the way they were. And what happened was something called an AI winter around the early 70s, where all this research in AI dried up because there weren't a lot of resources. Now, machine learning or deep learning, that was something that was also uh, being developed around that same time. So in the 70s, by people like Jeffrey Hinton, who is a professor at the University of Toronto and founder of the Vector Institute here in Toronto, Jan LeCun, who works in AI at Facebook now, and another guy named Joshua Bengio, who is at the University of Montreal. It's funny because Canada was a hotbed in the development of deep learning. But that's a slight aside. So deep learning or machine learning, that's when the artificially intelligent agent or algorithm tries to mirror the way our brains think by having all these neurons and synapses. And essentially, it's all these different layers with multiple decisions. So if you showed a picture of a cat, for example, the first layer will maybe look at the edges. And then the second layer will look at uh, the center of the image. And then another layer will look at something else. And all of these layers will shoot out a probability that this image is or isn't a cat. And then at the end, it's some huge calculation that's complex. I'm not a mathematician by any means. And, and there's a prediction, you know, with 85, 90% accuracy, 65% accuracy, that this image is a cat, for example, or a dog or whatever it is. And then that's how the artificial intelligence works. Speaking still of AI, what do you see is more beneficial for PR pros? Do you see machine learning or actual AI or the narrow AI being more beneficial or is it more of general being more beneficial for PR pros? Well, I think it depends. I think really what we need to do as a first step is educate ourselves on what AI is and does, the different types of AI, the different types of data that are being used. And there's actually um, three types of data. You know, like we hear big data and it makes our heads hurt because of all the hundreds and hundreds of millions. I think it's something like 15 quintillion bits of data are produced by humans every year. So that figure may be wrong, but it's just an incredible number. Anyways, we hear that we don't really know where to begin, but really there are three types of data that work together in artificial intelligence. First is structured data, and structured data is stuff we're all familiar with because it's similar to what goes into a spreadsheet. It's got columns, it's got rows, everything's labeled. So it's highly structured, and again, it's just really big. It's not a database of 10 columns by 20 rows. It could be 10 million columns by 20 million rows. And machines are quick enough to make predictions. So that's the first one. So structured data then on the other end of that spectrum is unstructured data. Unstructured data are the words that we speak right now, the words we write, the images in pictures, in videos, or really in the, in the world around that. And there's no real way to label that. The machine has to either see, and I use that in quotations, using computer vision to identify it through the algorithms, 
that it's using or be able to read, again, in quotations, that natural language processing or understanding the relationship between the various words and phrases so that when you ask it a question, it can give you a reasonable answer based on so many different factors, where you are, what your intent might be based on the order of your questions, and what some of your other questions were. There's lots and lots of different metrics. So that's an important place to start. And then I think PR people and communications professionals need to start getting familiar just with some of the basic concepts like that, like what an algorithm is. And there's a word that we use all the time, algorithm. And yet when I say to people, can you define what an algorithm is? People's eyes kind of glaze over because they sort of know what it is, but often can't just put that into words. And I think it's important for us to be able to put it into words. And an algorithm is really just a set of steps used to solve a problem or a recipe. I mean, that's it. When we put it into those terms, we start to get our heads around it a little bit more. So I think we need to start understanding what narrow AI is and where we're using it. Because a lot of the platforms we're using, certainly if we're using any of the big social listening platforms like Hootsuite, for example, Sprout Social, they're using automation or AI to serve up results. So we need to be aware that we're already using that and then figure out what our role is going to be. One, we're really charged with the reputation, managing reputations of organizations with ethics, ethical practice. So those are all areas where we can play a role, I think, as AI continues to develop. What are the ethics around it? How is a company figuring out what its privacy policies are and how it can communicate that to its various audiences and stakeholders? How can an organization ethically implement AI across the enterprise, knowing that some people will lose their jobs? How can communicators help implement AI across the enterprise, knowing that there's going to be potential job loss? Some people will need to be retrained. And all all of those things have to be thought about in advance. And if there is job loss at an organization, how will that, that affect the culture? So all of those are considerations that I think communications people could take part in, but we need to educate ourselves first. Mm -hmm. And what are some ways that the AI can actually help the PR pros? Is it what you said by social listening through social media, or is it helping craft a better press release or understanding which press to go to? Could there be implementations for that with AI? Yes, to all of those, certainly social listening, figuring out how it can look at more data than the humans who are just monitoring social media can possibly process and make predictions. Again, humans still need to be involved in all of this. In natural language generation or computers writing copy or text, there's something that's getting better. It's not ready for prime time yet. And in fact, if you try natural language generators that are available online, you put in a sentence and it'll write a story. And sometimes the stories aren't bad, but they're not great. But some organizations like Perseido, for example, and I think Phrase is another one, P-H-R-A-S-E. What they're doing is they're offering very basic types of natural language generation for organizations. So they'll say you're sending out an email 
campaign to lots and lots of people, they'll be able to test out which subject head perform the best and give you predictions around that. So I think, again, it's a collaboration. And, you know, will we be able to use AI as our creative collaborators? Hopefully we will be able to. And humans will still be involved because, you know, we need to make those strategic decisions, those judgment decisions. We need to really think through the consequences in a way that AI just can't do yet. But will it replace us? Hopefully not. And you said before about chatbots, were they the beginning of us understanding or implementing AI from our perspective of what AI actually is? I think they were a great entry point because they're doing something that we just naturally do, which is ask questions, talk to people, and get an answer back. If you think back, one of the earliest chatbots was designed in the 60s. It's called Eliza. And it's a chatbot that's there to kind of help you feel better mentally. And what it does is it it doesn't use machine learning. It's just programmed in a very, very sophisticated way using rule-based AI. And yet people were asking Alexa or telling Alexa all these things. And Alexa would follow up with lots of questions. Well, how does that make you feel? What do you think about that? How will, you know? picking up on those kinds of clues programmed in. Now, chatbots are getting better at understanding us. I think if we want to go to the gold standard, if I can call it that, in chatbots, back to to the movie Her, where Joaquin Phoenix has like these great conversations and relationships, if you can call it that either, you can call it that too, with the voice of Scarlett Johansson, who is operating system. So I think... We're moving in that direction. I recently completed a master's degree at McMaster and Syracuse Universities. And my research was all about AI and human AI agent relationships and you know how that's going to change the way we communicate, who we trust, and things like that. So I did look into chatbots. And again, there's an area where right now chatbots need to be scripted. So the language needs to be put in there. And that's potentially a role for us as communicators. And it's something that we'll start to see even more of them than we have now when the chatbots perform even better and just don't answer basic questions. And now a lot of chatbots are sophisticated enough to know when to turn a customer over to a real person because the questions that are being asked are beyond the chatbot's capabilities. Mm-hmm. And Speaking of AI, how do you see it being more implemented in PR and marketing industry? I mean, we've seen a little bit of it, like you said before, but how do you see it being more implemented than right now? Yeah, well, I think one on the predictive analytics side, so looking at your analytics and being able to predict potentially what stories or ideas may work for customers three months from now, six months from now, based on existing data and integrating that. I think analytics, helping communications people really dive into how well the content we produce is is performing and working to achieve the goals that the organizations or our organizations may have. So all of those are ways that we could integrate them. And as personal digital assistance, really, to schedule meetings, keep teams on track. I've read about some 
apps that will virtually run a meeting. I don't know how good they are, but to keep people on track or at least take notes in meetings and try to make some sense of them. Again, that's using natural language processing, understanding the relationship between words and whether or not we get there in six months, a year, a couple of years, we're heading in that direction. So as I've said a couple of times already, we need to educate ourselves. And it's not something that uh, communications people learn when they're studying PR in most places. And for more influencer marketing, how can this AI or AI help PR pros identify which influencers to go for? Could it actually do that eventually? Do you see that happening or is this still a little bit off? Yeah, it's actually happening now. Again, through writing algorithms or automation, you put in all this data that you wanted to find like influencers in a certain area based on a certain industry with a following of, you can put that in, who work with brands, maybe add in more and more parameters and it could start surfacing more influencers. You know, some of the influencer management platforms are doing that now. Now, the flip side of that are all these AI influencers or bots that start to get a following and whether or not your brand is going to want to work with a bot influencer or a chatbot like Lil Michaela. I don't know if you know of Lil Michaela, but Lil Michaela is an Instagram creation. It's not machine-based, but Lil Michaela does not exist and yet has had hits on Spotify and has done promotions for big brands. So organizations, one will be able to use it to identify and probably start building relationships with influencers. And then also AI may create this whole other world of bot influencers. And then there's so many ethical questions around that too. Do they disclose that they're bots? Because influencers are supposed to, according to the Federal Trade Commission, disclose when something is promoted or paid. So will bots have to disclose that and whether or not they're bots? And just all the other potential consequences around that if people think they're talking to a real person, but it's really a machine. What is data bias? So data bias is really the bias that's built into either the algorithm or the data itself. And it could be built into the algorithm because of the biases of the programmers. Like we all have our own biases. We need to be aware of them and hopefully understand them and not let them influence us too much. So for example, if you know all of the programmers have had a similar background or of a similar economic and cultural and racial background and mix have been, you know, educated in similar types of institutions, the way they think might be different than someone who grew up in another continent like Africa or Asia. So that's one type of bias. The second one is the bias that's in the data itself. And so machines are only as good as the data they're fed. And if, say, your data set doesn't have enough diversity of examples, so say you're looking at pictures of CEOs, and it's trained on all this data that's gathered from all over who the CEOs are, and most CEOs now are males, and probably males and white at least in North America. 
And so if you train a database on that, it will likely predict, if it showed it a picture of two people and one of them was a man, one was a woman, based on that data, it would say the man would be likelier to be a candidate to be a CEO just because so much of the data shows that. And that's why it's important to make sure that your data set is diverse, that you try to minimize for some of those inherent biases that we have that just naturally appear in the data. Mm. So be sure to be as unbiased as you can be when you're writing this stuff. Yes. And when you're using a data set to make sure that it's not being trained on data that's flawed or also on data that may not have been checked. There might be duplicates in it. It may be more of a data swamp than a data lake time. Organizations need to spend a lot of time preparing the data and making sure that it is as clean and as unbiased or diverse as possible. Mm -hmm. And do you think the next generation of PR pros are going to have to become more data scientists than actual communication professionals? Or do you think it's going to be a mixture of both? going to be a bit of a mixture. And if you look at data scientists, one, they have to have expertise understanding data and mathematics and statistics. That's something that most communications people shy away from. And I think it's probably a good thing for us to learn how to code at least at a basic level, to learn the language that data scientists or computer scientists speak so that we can make requests or ask important and informed types of questions. But data scientists also need to have something called domain expertise. In other words, they they need to understand the industry or where they're operating because otherwise they may not be able to ask the right question either. And they also need to be able to communicate what the results are and what they mean and what the dangers are potentially in a way that people can understand. So where it's kind of like this interesting hybrid of communication and data science or computer science mathematics together. Now, do we need to know all of that? No, I don't think so. But I think what we do need to do is to start as a friend of mine who is actually a data science scientist and a communicator, a very unusual combination, um, Alex Sevigny, who teaches in the McMaster MCM program. He said, we need to start building relationships with our IT people and asking questions and getting to know them so that when those decisions are made, we can be there at the table to ask those important questions and also to help them communicate it in a way that builds trust, transparency, and credibility. What about universities and schools? Because a lot of times they're a little bit behind on even the most basic things about digital marketing and PR, like when I was in college, no one was talking about social media at all. And now do you think they should actually put in AI into their curriculum a little bit and not shy away from it? Cause it always seems like schools are behind. Yeah. Well, it's the nature of academia, right? Because it's based on research. Research takes time. Got to make sure you're validating the results, but I think absolutely that should be integrated. And I think, Right now, we've seen over the last five years how visual storytelling, multimedia, video production, that's all started to be integrated into communications programs. So students who are graduating now, 
have skills that students who graduate five years ago, 10 years ago or more didn't necessarily get. And I think it's important to integrate artificial intelligence, certainly predictive analytics, analytics in general, ethics courses around the ethical use of AI, data protection, privacy, all of those are areas that we can participate in and have an effect on. I also think that communications professionals and students need to understand basic statistics because narrow AI is based on statistical predictions. And if we don't at least have a a baseline grasp of that, it'll put us a little bit behind the scenes. So all of those are skills that we need to learn. And if we can't get them in schools, there are resources like Udemy, continuing studies programs often will offer these courses, whether in person or online, LinkedIn Learning, where uh, I develop courses. All of these are great resources to keep our skills up to speed so that we don't become irrelevant. Mm-hmm. That's always a good thing to do, especially when learning about it. So basically what you're saying is that even if schools don't do it, you can go to LinkedIn Learning and learn stuff that offsets what schools are kind of behind. Yeah. And fun question for you. If you could create an AI, what personality would it have? Well, actually, you know what? That, I would say, it would have Robin Williams' personality. Because it would be fun. It would be really smart, really sharp, able to make these great connections, whether they were just serious connections or really bizarre off-the-wall connections. It would have a great sense of humor and just, be kind of entertaining and you'd feel like it was watching out for you, but also having fun with you too. And I think that's the personality I would like an AI to have. So you want like a all over the place, bombastic type of personality AI is what I'm hearing. Yeah. With a great sense of humor and fun and that is able to take us on these crazy journeys, but also bring us back to reality when we need to uh, get there. Great. I mean, we all love Robin Williams or when he was alive, unfortunately, and his crazy sense of humor, I guess is the best way of saying it. But final thoughts for our listeners. Yeah, AI is not coming. It's here. And it is incumbent on communications professionals to do what we need to do to educate ourselves and to actively participate in the crisis, not wait till we're asked, but to kind of jump in, learn, and start to contribute value as organizations begin to implement AI even more across the enterprise. All right. Thank you, Martin, for sharing all your knowledge about AI. I'm pretty sure a lot of people are interested in this, trying to understand what it's all about. But thank you for at least explaining what AI is right now. Oh, thanks. And if anyone has any questions, you can find me on Twitter at Martin Waxman or on LinkedIn. Thanks a lot, Brett. Uh, Great talking to you. All right. And thank you for tuning in to PR360. We appreciate it. And if you could, please subscribe to PR360 on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and much more. And join us next week as we talk to another thought leader and industry change maker in the PR industry. All right, guys, stay safe and have a good week. See you next week. Later.